0: Hello, thank you for downloading this episode of the School Improvement Podcast series, brought to you by Teacher Magazine. I'm Jo Earp. My guest for this episode is Professor Brian Caldwell, Professor Emeritus at the University of Melbourne and Deputy Chair of ACARA, that's the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority. His new book, The Autonomy Premium, published by ACAR Press, explores the link between student achievement and autonomy in school management and professional practice, and it includes case studies of Australian government schools. I caught up with him in Melbourne to find out more. Professor Brian Caldwell, uh, welcome to Teacher Magazine. In The Autonomy Premium, that's your new book, uh, you you say that professional autonomy trumps structural autonomy. Can you just explain what you mean by that?
1: Well, over the last few decades, schools, especially public schools, have been given more authority to make their own decisions on a range of matters. Mm -hmm. And the question has often been asked, uh, does this make any difference to learning outcomes for students? Well, what we found from research and detailed studies of schools that are using this additional autonomy is that just giving schools more authority may make no difference at all if schools don't have a capacity to make good decisions in the interests of their students. So we distinguish between professional autonomy and structural autonomy in this way. Structural autonomy is just the uh, changes in policies and procedures that give the school more authority. Uh, but. Professional autonomy means that schools have the knowledge and skills to actually use that additional authority to make those decisions. If teachers know and have a good body of practical knowledge that's evidence-based about how to make a difference to students and actually make decisions using that additional authority, then we're likely to see an improvement for students. And in that way we say, in the book, that professional autonomy trumps structural autonomy.
0: Uh, What do schools... So so let's delve a bit deeper into that idea of professional autonomy then. What do schools do when they exercise this professional autonomy?
1: Well, there are a number of building blocks to this. The first is that uh, teachers and school leaders know a lot about how to improve student learning. And we've gained enormously from sharing research and practice in the last few years here. So knowing what makes a difference in terms of uh, how students learn is probably the most important building block when uh, schools exercise professional autonomy. This means knowing what factors, what strategies make a big difference and what strategies make little or no difference. Uh, It's knowledge that uh, teachers and schools uh, have built uh, enormously in recent years. I mean, we've always had professional development for teachers. Uh, We've had what used to be called in-service training. But now we've got a profession that is uh, gaining access to participating in studies and sharing their knowledge working in groups working in teams based upon learning areas uh, uh, there are a number of other things too that go with professional autonomy uh, schools have to know how to set priorities uh, um, uh, for their students and th- there are there are a host of uh, uh, Priorities that schools can address, but what are the most important ones, given that each school is really quite unique in terms mm. of the mix of uh, its students and the communities that it serves. So knowing what is the most important thing to address uh, now and in the short-to-medium-term future is critically important. So setting priorities. It also means uh, having the best mix of teachers uh, to address those Priorities and those needs so schools having a capacity to select and then build the capacities of teachers is critically important schools now more than they've ever had have a, had a budget of money that has been decentralized to the school from a school system if it is a public education or a systemic uh, non-government schools so knowing how to target the money Uh, to best meet those priorities or best address those priorities also critically important. Then Mm there is the ongoing day-to-day way in which teachers work Mm -hmm. and that means uh, teachers being able to work together in teams, people who are teaching uh, in the same subject area or at the same grade level, uh, sharing their knowledge, getting out and about Uh, to conferences, participating in professional learning, uh, to really build in each school a a genuine professional learning community.
0: There's actually a link then between professional autonomy and these higher levels of student achievement. What kind of evidence do you look at then in in the book?
1: Right. Well, there's that broad base of international research in recent years but what we did uh, in 2015 was to conduct case studies uh, in Australia, five of them, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, four of them uh, were uh, schools nominated by school system leaders as schools that had had autonomy for several years, uh, had dramatically improved learning outcomes for students, uh, and that the system leaders felt that the schools would have available some evidence that would enable us to explore the possible links between school autonomy and uh, outcomes for students. So we were able to uh, select from a number of nominations, uh, three schools in Victoria, one in the ACT and one in Queensland. Then we added a fifth, um, another, or one of those schools rather, was also a school that had done a really good job in developing what are often called 21st century skills Uh, and this was a Senior Secondary School uh, and it had been working on that agenda for a number of years, in fact uh, well over a decade. And so we asked principals and other school leaders to explain to us, give us the detail step by step, who did what, with what resources, when did they do it, how did they work together, what were the problems they encountered in making school level decisions and what evidence do they, can they provide that, that that actually made a difference for students. Uh, of course, we used uh, improvements on uh, NAPLAN scores uh, compared to all schools and compared to similar schools, but we also used uh, or had access to other evidence where schools had a broad range of goals uh, and we asked uh, schools for evidence that those goals had been achieved. The end result of this was that, uh, for each of the schools, uh, we were able to get the we were able to demonstrate, in fact, map in diagrammatic form uh, the links between uh, that professional autonomy and improved outcomes for students.
0: Mm-hmm. Now uh, on the flip side of course, uh, what are the kinds of things that are blocking this uh, uh, professional autonomy then? What, what would be standing in the way?
1: Well the, the obvious one would be if schools hadn't built the capacity to make good decisions mm-hmm. in the interests of their students. Uh, but uh, there's also evidence and uh, we've reported this in uh, a report of a survey that we did of school principals. around Australia, but other, but jurisdictions are also finding the same thing when they commission reports on what might be blocking the kind of improvement that they'd like to see. The biggest one that we've been able to identify is the uh, mountain of work that seems to distract principals and teachers from focusing on learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a mountain of paperwork or compliance requirements or filling out forms. Uh, that th- There's no question that this is seen as the major distraction for principals at least, but I'd suspect also for a considerable number of teachers uh, as well, hour upon hour of work that uh, uh, might be important uh, in terms of uh, meeting uh, workplace uh, health and safety is concerned, but there's a lot of other information that's collected that's not really used, not really important some Some principles have cited uh, uh, the f- demands of a national or state curriculum or the demands of uh, having students sit NAPLAN tests every year. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, in the schools that we looked at, uh, these weren't seen as stumbling blocks. Schools were simply able to connect those larger, bigger picture agendas uh, to the actual local work of the school.
0: So finally then, uh, we've discussed professional autonomy today... uh... Uh, will it make a difference to the overall performance of Australia's students in the long run? Is it, is, it that, uh, is it an important factor in that respect?
1: It's one factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, s- some people uh, have often criticised work related to professional autonomy or autonomy in general as though it was being presented as a silver bullet that would uh, lead to uh, huge gains in improvement uh, not only for the individual student, but also for the nation. Uh, and that's not true. It it, it ought not be claimed uh, to be a silver bullet. It's, it's one factor. And uh, the other factors, of course, relate to the uh, initial teacher education to ensure that uh, new teachers that are employed are at the forefront of knowledge and skills. Uh, so that's an important factor. Um, the... The particular setting that the school finds itself in or is serving is also uh, a factor. Uh, Some schools are in highly challenging, disadvantaged settings and they require special support and so for the school itself in exercising uh, its decision-making powers and the system itself must ensure that there's a what we broadly call a needs-based approach to uh, funding schools and resourcing schools uh, also has to uh, be in place. Um, and all of these things require time to have an impact. Uh, the climate of the t- school must change, the culture of the school must, must change um, as well.
0: That's all for this episode of School Improvement. For more on this topic, check out the podcast transcript and related reading at our website. That's www.teachermagazine.com.au To download all of our podcasts for free, visit acer.ac forward slash teacher itunes or www.soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen acer.